morning. You may be seated this morning. I'll see if you guys uh, can remember. God is good. All the time. God is good. Aren't you glad that's true? It's not just, it's not just a statement that God is good. And so, hey, I just wanted to announce real quick, uh, Ben, our worship pastor, him and his wife had their fourth child yesterday morning about five o'clock. You can give them a hand. So uh, mom and baby are doing well. And so pray for them. Little Josiah David Garcia was born, I think five o'clock yesterday morning, eight pounds and you know, something like that. And uh, so praise God for life. You know, we are supposed to protect life and we are supposed to do everything we can to fight for life. Can I get an amen? Amen for that, and so I appreciate life, born and unborn. Amen? Amen. And uh, man, praise the Lord for a great opportunity this morning we've already had to worship. And this morning, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 14, and I'm going to read as you turn there, one, well, I'm going to read half of a verse in Exodus 15 verse 1. It says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord. That's awesome. And so we're not going to get into the song just yet. Uh, you know, almost every uh, song tells a story, right? And, and most of the songs that tell a story, there's usually some type of backstory. There's a story behind the song, right? The story of how uh, the author or the composer, what, what motion maybe was. In other words, a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, the song It Is Well, and I give you the backstory of that song as the author of the song It Is Well with My Soul. Wrote the song and wrote those words on the ship, on the ocean, right at the same spot where his family had been shipwrecked and all his girls died. And he was moved by God to author this song It Is Well with My Soul. And so in Exodus chapter 15, we, we're going to read a song, and it's a song of corporate worship and a song of worshiping the Lord. And so we have been on a journey. This is our week five in our Exodus series. We've kind of already given you the backstory of this song. So let me just review it real quick. The first week in Exodus 1 and 2, we looked at the first two chapters, and Pastor Dave preached a message on the fact that, that God cares. And I'm so grateful that we serve a personal God. We serve a God who created us for relationship and created us for fellowship and that he cares about my hurts and my needs and my problems and my struggles and, and I'm thankful for that and that's what Exodus chapter 1 and 2 tell us. In Exodus 3 and 4 it was the idea that God speaks and remember he spoke to Moses in the burning bush and when God revealed himself and God spoke he let them know not only does he care but he sees and he hears and he knows. And I'm, again, I'm thankful that I serve a God that hears my prayers. As Psalm says, he collects my tears in a bottle. God intimately wants to have a relationship with me that's real and personal. And he hears and he sees and he knows what I'm going through and he cares. 
And, and the third week, we uh, really summed it up in Exodus chapter 5 and 6 that, that God remembers the brokenhearted. And so even in our, our darkest moments, that God remembers and God speaks and God hears and God knows cares. And unfortunately, in Exodus chapter 6 and verse number 9, when God, remember, he gave the seven I will statements in verses 7 and 8 of Exodus chapter 6, and they were kind of summarized in four statements, four promises God gave the nation of Israel. But in Exodus 6 verse 9, the Israelites did not hear the voice of God or didn't listen to the voice of God because they had taken their eyes off God and they had placed their eyes on their circumstances, their problems, their issues. And, and I want you to understand this morning that whatever you're facing today, God sees and God hears and God knows and God cares and God remembers the brokenhearted, that he is near to those who are crushed in spirit, as the psalmist said. Last week, we looked at Exodus chapter 12, and we made the statement that God redeems, and Exodus 12 talks about the Passover, and it was, remember, the, the final plague, the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn son, and, and the Israelites would have lost their firstborn son. Their firstborn son would have died had they not sacrificed the spotless lamb, and had they not covered their house by the blood of the lamb. And remember, for years, they would celebrate looking back on the Passover lamb but remember what John the Baptist said when Jesus entered into the ministry and he looked and he pointed to Jesus and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so this Lamb who was a picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who lived a sinless, perfect life, and that anyone that calls on the name of Jesus shall be what? Saved. And I'm thankful for the Passover Lamb, but I'm thankful for the Lamb of God. As we just sang about, Jesus paid it all. All to him I, I owe. Aren't you thankful for Jesus this morning? Amen. And Jesus redeems. And we made this statement last week, redemption comes by God's grace and our faith. So for 430 years, Egypt, or the Israelites have been in bondage to Egypt, and now they're free in our storyline, right? They're free, and, and we see in Exodus chapter number 13 that, that God leads his na the nation of Israel by a, a cloud of pillar of cloud by day and, a, and a, pil a pillar of fire by night, and God is directing them, and God is leading them, and all of a sudden, they come to an obstacle, Anybody ever come to an obstacle? Like you think, oh man, God's got this, everything is great, and all of a sudden, as great as it is, it gets bad in a hurry, doesn't it? And that's what happened in the nation of Israel. They leave Egypt. And remember what God had said. God said, we're, we're, I'm going to allow you to plunder the nation of, of Egypt. And, and they did, and they, they took the silver and the gold, and there was, they, no one lost their life. There was no battle. God just delivered them out. Can you imagine what the people of Israel were thinking as they headed out of Egypt? Wow, God is big, and God is good, and God is great. And then they come to the Red Sea, and what's behind them when they look back as they approach the Red Sea? Pharaoh has what we might would term buyer's remorse, right? He's upset. What did I just do? I just freed all of my free labor. Probably 600,000 men have he just let go. And so he decides, I'm going to go get them back. And so the armies of Egypt approach as the nation of Israel is stuck. The Red Sea in front and the nation, the armies of Egypt behind. 
And that's where we pick up our story in the morning, uh, this morning. So look at Exodus 14, verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. It's, it seems easy for me in this point of the story to say, why, why should they be afraid when they've seen all that God has done? But when I think about my own life, to be honest, I'm no different than the nation of Israel. Because God has done some amazing things in my life. And how easily when I'm faced with a new problem, I get very afraid. And so they get very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, because there was no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? And so the fear goes from, you know, blame, pointing fingers at Moses. Why have you dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Verse 12, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? But if you remember in the story, when God enters the story, he entered the story because the nation of Israel was crying out to God, help us, we want to get out of bondage. And here they don't remember that part of the story. You ever been in an argument and the person you're arguing with doesn't really remember the whole story? Have you ever been the person that doesn't remember the whole story? I think they remembered. I think they told part of the story, right? And then it goes on to say, it would be better for us to have served the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. And, and I just think about Moses. Lord, what have you got me into? These people, earlier we read, we, we told them that God was going to deliver them. They believed and they worshipped and then immediately they worried and they were afraid. And we see the same thing here. And what does Moses respond to them in verse number 13? And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Fear not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. There's some great statements in this verse. If you don't have this verse highlighted or underlined, you probably got to do that right now. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. There's no doubt in Moses' mind what he's saying here, is it? Listen, don't be afraid. God is bringing salvation today, and these Egyptians that you're fearing right now, you will never see them again. Isn't that a great promise? I love verse 14. Again, you ought to highlight this if you don't have it already. Verse 14, chapter 14, the Lord will fight for you. Can I, can I just say this morning, that promise to the nation of Israel, I believe is a promise for every believer today, that God will fight for you. Later we read in scripture, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. We are more than overcomers. We're more than conquerors through Christ in us. God will fight for you. Now, I love the next part of this verse. It says, and you shall hold your peace. This is, I'm reading the New King James Version, but let me read for you the message translation because I just like it. Okay, here's what it says. Exodus 14, verse 14. God will fight the battle for you. And you, question mark, I love this, Moses talking, you keep your mouth shut. Can I get an amen to that? I love it. And, and you know, one of the, the forbidden words in my house growing up was shut up. Was that, was that forbidden in your house? Anybody ever tasted a bar of soap? 
Okay, we won't talk about that. But that's just, that's the image I get when Moses is, you know, it's, it's, the message is more like this vernacular of like just putting it to him. Like, God is going to fight for you, so shh, that word you're not supposed to say. Be quiet. Quit griping. Because as you gripe, what you're revealing is that you don't trust God. We cannot worry and worship. We can't worry and worship. Do I need to say it again? We can't worry and worship. We can't be filled with doubts and be filled with faith. And Moses stands before the people as they're, feel, they're filled with fear. Don't worry. God's got this. The song we just sang, God is over some things. Is that what we just sang? God is over what? All. God is over all. Isn't that reassuring? The enemy's behind. The sea is in front. And Moses says, God will fight for you. God will fight for you. Let's keep reading. Verse 15, And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. This is probably a... Moses is thinking, Yeah, you tell them, God. But tell them to go forward. Verse 16, But lift up your rod and stretch your hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground. What a great promise. Through the midst of the sea, and I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his armies and his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I've gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen, and the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from before them and stood behind them, and so now it's between them and Egyptians. So it came, verse 20, it came between the camp of Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud of darkness to the one, and it gave light to the other, so that one did not come near the other all the night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all the night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground. The waters were a wall to them on the right, and on right hand and on the left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea. And Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of Egyptians through the pillar of the fire and the cloud. And he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels. Don't you love that? God's like, oh, you think you're going to catch them. And he knocks all the wheels off the chariots. How cool was, was that? He took off their chariot wheels, so they drove them with difficulty. That's kind of an understatement, I would think. I, you know, there's like... What do you mean they drove them with difficulty? They don't have wheels. Okay, we won't hang out there. The Egyptians said, I love this. You ought to underline it. Let us free from the face of Israel. For the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Even the enemy realized God is fighting for Israel. Isn't that a powerful statement? They realized that they're against not they're not fighting the nation of Israel they're fighting the God of the nation of Israel verse 26 and the Lord said to Moses stretch out your hand over the sea and the waters may come up against the Egyptians on their chariots on their horsemen and Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and when the morning appeared the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it so the Lord 
overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Let me read that again. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Who, who won this battle? The Lord. That wasn't a trick question. Who won this battle? The Lord did. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh that came to the sea after them. Not as much of them remained. Not as much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were walled to them on the right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. This last part of the verse, verse 30. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And just like we read a few chapters ago, when, when the people of God fear God and when the people of God believe God, it leads to worship of God. And that's the backstory. All that was just introduction to our message in, in Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. The song of the people of God. So let's unpack this song. And we're going to kind of slowly walk through this. If you have your bulletin, get it out right now. You're going to fill the outline out this morning, okay? The first part I want you to look at on the very top. This is kind of, think through this as we continue. As the, the nation of Israel is faced with the sea on one side and the, the nation of, uh, of Egypt on the back side of them, what are they going to do? What are they going to fear? And here's what this statement, I love these two statements. Sometimes our struggles are simply an opportunity for God to show up and to show off. Can you get an amen to that? Sometimes our struggles are simply an opportunity for God to show up and show off. How many of you already had that filled out? You already figured it out. All right, good for you. The second one, we'll see, if you, we'll see how good everyone is. We're playing word puzzle tonight, today, right? God can take what we see as an obstacle and use it as an opportunity for his glory to be revealed. You see, our perspective is very limited. God's perspective is not. And what we sometimes see as an obstacle really is an opportunity. What we see sometimes as a struggle is really the opportunity for God to show up and to show off. The nation of Israel feared the Egyptian army behind them. But it was all set up, wasn't it? It was all set up for God to destroy the army, to show off his power so that he could get the glory. And we're going to walk through this song real quick, and, and I just want to point out the first three things are really characteristics of God, and then the fourth is another reason. So this is a worship song. Don't you wish, uh, Ben, or, or on uh, Hallmark, I don't know if it was on Facebook or Twitter yesterday, there was a question, if you could have hot chocolate or coffee with anyone in Scripture besides Jesus, who would it be and what would you ask them? And I thought for a moment about the question. I thought it would be interesting to sit down with, with uh, Mary and Joseph and just ask them, what was it like to, to live in a blended home, to have uh, the Son of God in your home, and did all the other siblings try to make him do things that he wasn't supposed to do? Uh, were they all jealous? I mean, I kind of feel sorry for, I understand a little bit. I mean, I was like the perfect child, and I'm sure my siblings, uh, my siblings were a little jealous of, about how good I was. And so, I mean, I kind of identify a little bit. And then someone put on there, I think Stefan put on there about, I would love to sit down with David and hear the tune of some of the songs that he wrote. 
to know what they go, to how they go. And it made me think about this passage of Scripture, because this is in Exodus 15, is just a song. It's a song of worship. It's a song of praise to God. And the first point there on your outline, why are they singing? Why are they praising? What, are, what do they understand? And number one is, they're just worshiping the strength of God. Let's read the first five verses. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang the song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed glorious, the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Let's pause just for a moment there. Uh, on your bulletin, there's three blanks that are really just verse number two. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. And this morning, I would just challenge you, if, if God has not become your salvation, God wants to be your personal Lord and Savior, and God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die in your place so that he could put a song in your heart. And that song will be a song of your salvation. You see, I grew up in a Christian home my entire life, but I didn't have a song in my heart, a song of my salvation, until I was 17 years old. And at the age of 17, I humbled myself and said, God, you already know this, but I'm not good enough to get to heaven. And I need Jesus. I'm a sinner. And I confess my faith in Jesus Christ. And I confess that the only way I can get to God, the only way that I can have salvation, is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that this morning, can I just pause for a moment to say, in a moment we're going to stand, we're going to have a, a final song of worship, and, and some of us are going to be standing down here facing you, and, and if you would like to know how to, what the song of salvation is like, to how to give my life to Jesus Christ, how to confess my sins and have salvation, there are people down here this morning that would love to show you from the Bible how to do that. And so I would encourage you, if, if, as we go through this message, and you think, I, I don't think I have a song of salvation. I don't think there's been a time in my life when I really gave my life to Christ. And I would encourage you to walk down here, shake one of our hands, and say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. Can, can I just give you a promise this morning that if you make that decision today, you will never regret that decision. You will never regret the decision. I've made a lot of decisions in my life that I regretted. I made some good decisions in my life, I thought, that I regretted. I've never regretted waking up my youth pastor at 2 o'clock in the morning. He, he may have. I don't regret it. And asking him, will you pray with me? I need to give my life to Jesus. I'm encouraging you, I'm challenging you, I'm pleading with you, I'm begging with you today. If, if there's that tug in your heart, when we stand in a few minutes, make the journey down here. Shake somebody's hand and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Or maybe someone invited you today and you're sitting by someone that, that has done that. Ask them to come with you. Can I, can I just tell you, they would love to walk down here with you and let you find Jesus. So they, they worship God because of his strength, and I am glad today that we serve an all-powerful God. I'm glad that I serve a God who's bigger than all my problems. I'm glad I serve a God that can handle my insecurities, that God can handle my struggles. God is a big, all-powerful God, and they experienced the power of God. Let's finish reading verse number three. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. 
Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. We serve a powerful God. And they sang a song acknowledging the strength of their Lord. The second point there is that they, they sang a song worshiping the hand of God. The hand of God. And the hand of God always represents in Scripture His power and His presence. And, and I just want to confess this morning, I want the hand of God on my life. And I pray that you have and desire the hand of God on your life. Let's read verses 6 through 10. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who are against you. You set forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths concealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied in them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You, you see what the song is saying? God, you are all-powerful. Your strong right hand. And the enemies, look what the enemy said. I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide. My desire shall be satisfied. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Was their calculations of what was going to happen accurate? No. They thought they could take the nation of Israel, but they forgot. They weren't, for, they weren't fighting the nation of Israel. They were fighting the God, the strong right hand. Verse 10, you blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. I want the strong right hand of God in my life. And the nation of Israel writes this song, and they sing this song of worship, praising the strength of God, the hand of God, which again represents the power and the presence of God in their life. The third one, if you're taking notes, is the, the holiness of God. The holiness of God. Let's read verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness? Fearful in praise is doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. In that verse number 13, so 11 through 13 are talk about the holiness of God. And it's not just talking about uh, what we would normally think of holiness, like set apart or different than or other than. It's, it's a little deeper than that. It's a holiness that leads to a pursuit of love. A holiness that leads to a decision to love. When I think about this word, so we, we sang the song this morning that said about your steadfast love. And other translations of verse 13 say, the New King James says, you in your mercy. Also translated, you in your steadfast love. And I'm so thankful today that God made a decision to love me. And I'm thankful that I can tell you this morning that God made a decision to love you. It reminds me of the moment almost, what, 25 and a half years ago now, and I stood on a platform similar to this. I don't remember much about that day, but I remember I had two words that I was supposed to say. 
What were those two words? I do. In that moment, I publicly confessed that I willfully choose to love my wife. And thank God, she said, I do back. Yeah, there's a much bigger commitment for her, trust me. And every day I wake up, I make a choice to say I do again. And almost every day she wakes up, she makes a choice <laughs> to say I do. It's, it's, it's that vow, it's that commitment, it's that covenant. I choose you. And what the nation of Israel is worshiping their God to say, God, we thank you because of your power. We thank you because of your strong right hand. We thank you because of your holiness. And in your holiness, you willfully chose us. Stefan talked about that, how humbling it is that Jesus would hang on a cross. And he was placed there because of my sins how easy it should for us to walk in a building like this every Sunday morning and stand together in corporate worship and say, I'm thankful that my God is strong. I'm thankful that the hand of God is in this place. I'm thankful that God is holy and in his holiness he chose to love a wicked person like me. Are you thankful for that this morning? The steadfast love. Let's keep reading, and, and we'll continue on. But this last one is a, is a little different. About point number four. They worship God because of his strength and his hand and his holiness. And the last one is they worship God because of their future. Remember what God had promised, a future with him that will be forever. Let's, let's read verse 14. The people will hear, af- will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold on the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the, ch- the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. And again, this is what's going to happen when everyone hears what God did to the Egyptians. Everyone's going to fear. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as stone till your people pass over. O oh Lord, till the people pass over, whom you have purchased. What a great word. God had purchased his people. And it's just a picture of what God was going to do through Jesus. I'm thankful that my forgiveness, my redemption, my wholeness was purchased by the blood of Jesus. It says, you will bring them in the plant and plant them in the mountains of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hand has established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. And as a follower of Jesus, because at the age of 17 I gave my life to Christ, and I place my faith in him, and because of that, I have salvation, I've been redeemed, I've been purchased, then when I die, guess where I will get to reign forever and ever? In the very presence of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see the future they had with God? Forever and eternity, the people of God, the chosen people of God, it's the same 
future I have because I place my faith in Jesus. Don't we have a great reason to worship the Lord? Because he's all-powerful, because his hand of God, his power and his presence upon us, because he is holy and he's chosen to love us, and because if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we will worship him for all eternity. Isn't that going to be an awesome day when you stand before your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And we won't just worship him in an auditorium like this. We will worship on our knees, seeing him face to face. I'm looking forward to that day, are you? And the nation of Israel sang and they worshiped. And the responsibility, the opportunity for us today as believers. I love coming together in this auditorium with you guys every week and worshiping together. I love that we have a dedicated team that comes up here every week and practices. I'm really thankful they practice. I'm also thankful that they're very intentional, that they sing songs that point us to Jesus. They, paint, they, they sing songs that point us into a direction that we are not the focus, that God is the focus. Think of that song we sang this morning, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Has God been good to you? God is good? And all the time? God is good. I want to ask the praise team if they'd come up this morning and prepare for our last song of worship. And as they come up, I want to read these words of this song we're about to sing this morning. And again, in a moment we're going to stand, and I would just encourage you this morning, if if you need to give your life to Christ, we talked about this earlier. Here in a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to stand. There's going to be a few of us, leaders of the church, that are going to be standing out here. If you'd like to give your life to Christ, just come shake our hand and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. For the rest of us this morning, can we just use this opportunity, the last few minutes of our service this morning, as we sing this song, maybe it's to come forward and pray. Maybe it's to kneel at your seat and pray. Maybe it's just to stand and to raise your hands to a holy, righteous God and worship Him. And let me read this song, the lyrics to this song this morning. And the backstory of this song is every one of our stories. Here's what it says. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Do we have a reason to celebrate? Do we have a reason to worship God? Amen. Would you pray with me? God, you are so good to us. God, forgive me in my own life when I take my eyes off of your goodness and I put my eyes on my problems. Lord, in the next few minutes as we worship, Lord, help us as a, individuals, as families, as a, as a family here, a body of Christ to just be overwhelmed this morning with your goodness and your strength and the hand of God and the holiness and the love of God and the fact that we, we will stand before you for eternity praising the name of Jesus.
And Lord, I pray this morning in a moment that if there's someone in here that is wrestling with the decision to make the Lord their Savior, God, you would push them down the aisle this morning. Lord, that they would come forward and ask someone, tell someone, I want to give my life to Jesus. God, there's people in here this morning that have had a a terrible week. They've had a rough week. And so, God, I pray as, as we sing this song that the words Jesus is calling, the Father's arms are open wide, that, Lord, you would just embrace them through the power of your Holy Spirit. And this, this moment will be a moment that they could stop fearing and stop worrying and just lay it at your feet, that you could release them of that fear and that hurt that they could trust you completely. Lord, we just turn this few minutes over to you and we thank you again for the gift of Jesus.